seated again. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And, and that means that if you're new here or you're part of our family, it means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. And, and one of the key ways that we believe that we are formed and shaped as disciples of Jesus Christ is in just consuming his word, in unpacking his word. And so when we gather together um, as God's people on a Sunday morning, we, we spend a significant amount of time going through what we believe is God's word. And so today, we're going to be beginning a, a new series it's going to take us through the fall and, and even into the winter uh, called Vapor, Finding Meaning Under the Sun. And it's going to be a, a deep dive, if you will, a study of an awesome book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. And so on your way in, if, if you didn't, um, we have some resources for you that we think are really important during the season. And so one is uh, from, from Crossway, we've got these Ecclesiastes scripture journals. This is just the book of Ecclesiastes, um, but with some space to, to write, to, to journal, to reflect. Uh, and it includes, uh, I don't know, some cool word art. So there's creative people that make things that look nice, and that's awesome. So we, we like that. Uh, and then um, for our small groups and your individual study, uh, we've put together uh, a discipleship guide that breaks down how we're going to walk through this book uh, again over the next couple months. And so you're going to want to make sure to, to grab that, have that for your personal study, bring that to small groups when they get going uh, in the fall. Uh, and so you'll always know, Lord willing, where we're going to be at any given week uh, when you're coming in. And so um, if, you, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes. It's in the middle of your Bible. Uh, and so uh, as we get there, though, uh, we're starting this book kind of from scratch, if you will. Uh, maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you're not. And so we're going to do a little bit of work uh, of kind of some, some teaching, if you will, on, uh, about this book before we get into the, the context and, and text of the book. And so as we are looking at Ecclesiastes... Like, we have to, to ask ourselves a big question, and it's one that we're going to ask ourselves a lot today. What's the point? What's the point of life? Right? We all want meaning. We all want purpose. We all want enjoyment. But at certain points, we begin to ask ourselves, why? Why life? Why the things of life? Is anything I'm doing actually mattering uh, at all? And so, like, even as we say, like, why, why are we doing uh, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes this fall? Did we just, like, spin a wheel and, like, you know, or throw a dartboard at, at the Bible and this is what we landed on? No. The reason that we're doing this book right now is because Ecclesiastes helps us ask and, Lord willing, seek answers to the really difficult questions of life. It helps us to be realistic about the conditions of the world or our lives, and it helps us to, to look beyond what our circumstances are or beyond um, just what we can see with our eyes to try to find ultimate meaning and purpose to help us ask real questions. And so I don't know how you came in today. Some of you guys have been with us for weeks, months, years. Some of you are brand new, welcome. Uh, and, and so I don't know how you came in. But I know that whether you have faith in God, if you trust Jesus or not, you do ask yourself questions like, why do good things happen to bad people? You ask questions like, why are there aspects of life that just don't seem to resolve? 
Right? If you grew up um, like I did in the 80s and 90s, we're used to sitcoms where, where the entire storyline is answered in like 22 minutes of context. 22 minutes of content, all wraps up nice, and like there's the moral lesson and you're all done. But our lives don't work that way. So we find ourselves living lives with just a lot of unresolved tension. And so uh, why, why is work difficult? Why does it seem like a drag? Why is government corrupt? Why is it everything that brings temporary pleasure never seems to satisfy? These are all big questions that we're going to spend time looking at over the next weeks as we dive into this. And so what I love about Ecclesiastes, what I just, I love about the Bible, I feel like I've been saying this a lot lately, is that it's just so realistic about the world around us, right? If you're overly optimistic, there are certain, uh, that, that's, that's helpful, right? You know, life's great, life's always awesome, but at, at certain points, no matter how sunny your disposition is, the darkness creeps in. And so in Ecclesiastes, we see there can be light and encouragement, but at certain points, the darkness can't be ignored. And so there's times where our lives feel like seasons where it's no longer endless summer, but it's like definitely fall. And it's definitely going to be winter. I'll just tell you personally, I can't stand days like this, where it's just gray and, and the clouds just settle in. And you're like, yeah, we'll see you sometime, son. Maybe in May, it'll be great. It'll be awesome, pumpkin spice lattes from now until Jesus comes back. And it's just frustrating, right? All right, some of you guys, this is your jam, and I don't understand you. Some of you I'm married to, and I still don't understand you. Okay, all right, so, so with Ecclesiastes, we can't be afraid to ask difficult questions. We can rest even when we're wrestling with doubts and questions. And so um, the other reason we're looking at this, one, is that it helps us ask real questions. Two, is that it points us to the character of a good God. So why there's going to be times in Ecclesiastes that just seem really dark, really like, huh? This, this feels like a, like a creepy philosophy class, what's going on? No, that, that when we wrestle with difficult questions, we have to also be in a place where I want to receive an answer. Because we don't want to just be these cynics that are always just asking the big questions and, and never arriving or, or resting in an answer that can actually satisfy. And so if we're going to rest in what's true and right and good about God, then, then we get to see that Ecclesiastes is relevant if you're a believer in Christ. And it's absolutely relevant if you have no faith in God at all. Because it's asking the questions that everyone asks. And so there is times in Ecclesiastes where there's going to be things that just seem to un be unresolved. And in that, it's going to draw us to and point us to Jesus as the place where we find the unresolvable resolve, where we see true perspective of life under the sun. And so we, we absolutely hope that, that Ecclesiastes is a book that helps us grow as disciples of Jesus and we believe that whether it's this week or next week or, or whenever you come or whenever you bring a friend or, or family member, that, that Ecclesiastes is also a book that's going to make new disciples of Jesus. Because it's going to help us look beyond what we can see in front of us to truths that are transcendent and real that we believe are life-giving and transformational. And so um, it, it has to be said as well, uh, Ecclesiastes being in the Old Testament, um, right, you know, uh, Jewish rabbi could preach through Ecclesiastes and, and get some really great wisdom from it. Um, but, but we're Christians. 
And so we believe that all of the Old Testament leads up to and points to Jesus. Jesus himself actually, uh, after he's resurrected, he's on the road to Emmaus, and he's talking to some other disciples who don't really know who he is yet, and he says, and he leads them through a study of the Old Testament, and as he does, he says, all of this points to me. And so as we look at Ecclesiastes, it's important that we're also looking to Jesus as well in the reality of, the, 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 of Jesus who died in the past for us, who is risen and ruling and reigning now, and who promises to return in the future. So, a few other details about Ecclesiastes. Okay? Um, who wrote Ecclesiastes? Okay? The opening verse of this, when you, when you get there in chapter 1, it says that the author identifies himself as the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And, and you can do some scholarly uh, studies, and they'll say, well, maybe it really wasn't David's son. Maybe it was somebody else. Maybe it's somebody pretending to be David's son. Um, just Most of church history and a lot of tradition says that this book was written by David's son, who was King Solomon, who was known at the time as, as one of the wisest men to have ever lived. And so uh, he actually prayed for wisdom from God, and God answered his prayer. And so he has a divine wisdom, and yet is also a very imperfect guy if you end up looking at King Solomon's life, and, and we're going to see aspects of it. So as we, as we preach and teach this, we're going to assume, as a lot of believers have for several hundred years, that this is King Solomon in kind of the, the sunset of his life, hanging out with his grandson, kind of passing on some life lessons and some wisdom that he's seen so that his son or his daughter or his grandkids or his, his next generations can maybe not fall into some of the same traps that he did. And they can find meaning and purpose in their lives here and now while they long for something in the future. So we're going to preach this as if it's Ecclesiastes. As well, the first verse uses this term. It says, the preacher... It's a Hebrew word, uh, koheleth, and sometimes that word can mean teacher, but in this context, it's most closely associated, not with like, hey, uh, you know, like my kids just started middle school uh, and, and junior high. They've got seven teachers. They all teach kind of different subjects. They're all there. Uh, um, all the teachers are there because they're getting paid. All the kids are there because we told them to, um, and, and like, it's just kind of, all right, I'm in the class. In this case, koheleth, the teacher, or really the preacher, is teaching and talking to a gathered people who are gathered around a covenant, gathered around the promises of God, the truth of who God is. So yes, it's a gathering, and even like today, it's a, we're a gathering of people, again, in person or online, right? We're, we're gathering together, but he's not just teaching, like, let me give you an outline of all this, he's preaching truth to a people defined by the truth of God's promises. That's why your translation uses the word preacher and not teacher. And so what that means is, is that the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, actually that word means preacher. And so you think maybe sometimes I might preach long. This guy preaches for 12 chapters. This is a long sermon that he walks through. It's a challenging, meaty, difficult sermon at times that we are just going to slow jam through all fall long, uh, and we're going to look at its meaning, its application, and ultimately how it leads to the good news, how it leads to the gospel. Because when we come in to a Sunday service, yes, we hope God's word is, is preached and taught, but we also hope that we're getting good news from it. Because you can get a lot of bad news just looking at a Bible verse, reading it out of context. But good news is when we you see the word of God pointing to the word of God, who is Jesus. And so 
Here's the illustration I want to give you guys, because Ecclesiastes sometimes just kind of meanders. Um, when, when I was a kid growing up, we'd take trips to, to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. It's one of my favorite cities uh, on the planet. And we'd go to Coeur d'Alene, and, and my grandfather uh, would, would spend a day with me, right? When, uh, however it worked out, at some point um, during the trip, I was going to get to go spend a day with Grandpa Rich. And uh, Grandpa Rich... Uh, knew this town, loved this town. He lived there for years. He was a teacher. Uh, but, but to be fair, um, you know, my grandpa was, he was like 45 years older than me. I mean, he was, he was a lot older. Actually, no, I'm sorry. He's like 60 uh, years older than me. He adopted my dad when he was in his 40s. So big gap there. And so by the time I started spending days with Grandpa Rich, Grandpa Rich was in his late 70s and 80s. And we didn't know this at the time, but, but was, was trending, quite frankly, towards dementia. And so I'd go spend days with Grandpa Rich, and, and I knew that the day was always going to begin at the, at the post office, because for some reason he forgot that the mail shows up to your house. He liked going to the post office and getting his mail, right? And then we'd start meandering through the streets. And I never knew where we were going or why we were going. And he'd start talking to people uh, randomly, which um, I'm not in my 70s. I don't think I'm trending towards dementia yet. But my kids let me know I talk to random people all the time. Uh, so it's, I guess that's a family trait, even though our family line has some adoption in it. But, but he's, he's there. We're, we're meandering around. And he, then he'd like, you know, throw in some life wisdom lesson, you know, like, hey, sugar's bad. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You know, like, and, then, and then we'd talk to somebody and say, hey, that's a classmate of your father's. And I, even as a kid, I was like, well, that guy's like 20 years older than my dad. How are they classmates, right? You know, so he's, things weren't always clear. But he was trying to impart lessons to me. But how it always ended every single time, after all the errands, after all the meandering, after all the like, what did that even mean? It ended at Hudson's Hamburgers, which is this famous hamburger spot in downtown Coeur d'Alene. Been there for over 120 years. And he'd give me a hamburger, and he'd give me a piece of pie. I don't know how, how that fit in with the sugar's bad thing, but he'd give me a hamburger and a piece of pie. And so at the end, I knew we were going to get to a hamburger and a piece of pie. So no matter where we went, as my grandfather's trying to teach me, I knew he also wanted my joy. He also loved me. He also cared about me. And I want you to know, that's how Ecclesiastes is going to be at times. Where it's going to meander, and there's going to be times where, where we're going to try to hit concepts that just don't find their resolution in the text. But every single week, we're going to end with a hamburger and a piece of pie. And that's going to be the good news of Jesus Christ, who brings life and life abundant, who brings joy, and is the greatest indicator of a father's love for his children in who Jesus is and what he's done. And so the reason that, that there's questions that we're going to ask in Ecclesiastes that don't resolve neatly in the text is because this book is not a destination. It is mere pavement on a road, on a path that leads us to Jesus and leads us to the cross. And so if you're like, I feel like I'm stuck here in Ecclesiastes, just know this is a stop on the road. It is not the final destination. It's an invitation to pursue meaning in all the complexities of life, um, to, to, to look kind of beyond just simple answers that might kind of wet your tongue, but don't satisfy the soul. And so it's going to give us this thesis that ultimately life does matter, that our life isn't just waiting for what's next, but it's a re renewed life living for God. And so that gets us into to why is this book written? And we're almost, almost doing the intro, guys. 
Why did, why did Solomon write this? Who is he writing to? Well, Solomon's at the end of his kind of reign as king. Uh, if you look back at, at the history of God's people as, as a nation, as the nation of Israel, um, they had gone from wandering in the wilderness to just chaotic time of judges to, to kind of fighting it out over, over having a king and what that's going to look like and we're the next generation in. And Solomon and all of his wisdom had led to amazing economic uh, prosperity. I mean, Israel was, was winning so often they were getting sick of winning, right? everything's going so great that other nations are coming in. We want to learn from you. Uh, There's this adage that it said that silver and bronze were worth nothing in the days of Solomon because only gold mattered because things were going so well. And so there's, and you're like, how does that apply to now? (laughs) Well, I mean, guys, I know things are rough right now, but all of us need to recognize that we are living in one of the most prosperous times in human history and you are in one of the most prosperous places on the planet. And so the people aren't subsistence farmers anymore. They don't wake up every day wondering, how am I going to eat? Where am I going to get water? How am I going to get my clothes clean? No, no, no. They got food, sanitation, jobs, all that. So now they're like, rather than asking kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like, like how am I going to be fed or, or be safe? They're like, what does it all mean? I mean, cool. I used to have clay pots. Now I got gold pots. Is it better? I mean, probably, a little bit, right? But they're moving on from being focused on the what of daily life to the why of daily life. And I think as, as we find ourselves in a lot of, uh, of circumstances right now that can seem incredibly unsettling, I know there's economic challenges. I know there's been job losses. I I know there's some of that. And that's some of what the people were fearing because they've experienced prosperity now. Now they're worried about keeping it. Or they're worried about what's next or or what am I going to pass on to the next generation? And so they, like us, are asking a lot of the why questions. They've they've transitioned from just kind of getting started to to getting ready to leave a legacy. They're more focused on meaning than they are survival. And I think sometimes we get so focused on what's in front of us, we put time and energy to the what of the world that we don't think about the whys. And if we don't have a clear sense of purpose, then that means like when the circumstances change or the what's of life get harder, then we're going to get more easily overwhelmed. So we need to be reminded of what's true and, and what's right. And so let's, let's finally, after this long intro, we don't have a long intro every week. This is just kind of, that's kind of the background there of Ecclesiastes. Turn your Bibles with me right to the middle, to the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 today. I've broken these up into six uh, uh, sections. And in each one, it's kind of answering or asking rather a question, what's the point if? And so for verses 1 and 2, the question is, what's the point of life if everything is unsubstantial? So it says this, verses 1 and 2. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Let's, Let's stop there. What's the point of life if it's unsubstantial? And so this thing opens up, this sermon opens up with this lament about life that it's, that it's vanity. And it's not vanity like we normally think about it, like you're so vain, I bet you think this sermon's about you. Vanity. Okay, the word actually 
is havel in Hebrew, uh, and, it's, and it's a word that is so important for us because it's going to be used 38 times in 12 chapters. Okay, this, this word vanity or, or, or havel is important because um, it means actually, this is where we get to our sermon series, it doesn't mean vain as just empty, it means the word vapor. And so like if, if you know the book of James, it talks about our life being a mist or vapor that is there for a while and then fades. And so yes, it's talking about emptiness, it's talking about futility, but it's the idea of life being like a vapor or a mist or a cloud where, where you're looking at it, you're feeling even the good things, you're like, yeah, this is what life's about. And then you try to grasp it and hold on to it. And just like trying to, trying to, to grasp, grasp some smoke, like my wife is all into the essential oils, so you got a diffuser, right? It's just, you know, bubbling up, whatever. The, and you're like, you know, sometimes I just want to grab it and knock it out, right? You, you want to you knock out vapor, you can't. You want to hold on to vapor or smoke, you can't. And yet it's there. It's tangible until you try to actually put weight on it. Until you try to put all of your hopes on it. Until you try to grasp it and hold on to it. Almost like sand, right? Flowing out of your hands. And so it's such an important word because it means breath, insubstantial, useless, futile. And so He's saying our life is a mist or vapor, right? And so the preacher uses this word to teach about what is life like in this fallen world. And so it's not enough that our life is short. It's that while it happens, it sometimes seems meaningless. Or even when things are good, and we're going to hit that at different points in Ecclesiastes, and you're like, this was a great day. It checked all the boxes. There's still that kind of shadow of sunset of it's going to end. And for us in life, the ultimate sunset, that even the best days in life are still in the shadow of death. And so he throws this word out there for us to, to recognize that, um, that sometimes life doesn't seem as lasting value uh, when we just consider it apart from God. And so uh, I want to be clear, though, while we've named this series Vapor, uh, and while vanity is a dominant word in this sermon, it is not the defining word in this sermon. It's there to ask the question. It's there to ask the question. Because while it's used 31 times, 51 times in this sermon, it speaks of good or goodness. 51 times, good or goodness. And the thesis, of course, of Ecclesiastes, right? This is, this is the Bible, right? Is that is it, um, the, philosophically, if you believe there's no God and you functionally ask, act as if there's no God, then you're like, yeah, good luck trying to find the meaning. But it's asserting, hey, th- this sermon is this lengthy apologetic uh, of the idea of secular thinking that just says, I can enjoy life apart from God. In fact, I don't even know why there would need to be a God. It says, as you try to grasp it, it is vanity. But if you're looking for goodness... Well, again, we, we go back to the entire plot of the Bible. It begins with a God who made everything, and he made it all good. That God is the source of goodness. God is the one who is good. And so it's saying that you cannot find meaning or pursue meaning apart from God. And so uh, while he's saying that there's, goodness has a clear source, right, later in Ecclesiastes it'll say all wisdom, 
All words for life come from one shepherd. He's talking about God. And, and maybe you're like, wow, we've got vanity and darkness and futility and what does it all mean? And now we're talking about God and you say there's death. I, I want to be clear that while it talks about God and saying that, that the answer for that is, is to fear God, revere God, worship God, that term fear of God is used six times, okay? Right? You should worship the Lord. You should have a healthy fear of God. But 12 times, twice as many times that it says fear God, twice as many times it says God gives. Twice as much talking about God's generosity to his people, more than the futility of life. And so yeah, guys, there, there's dark in this book, but it speaks as, as it speaks of vanity and death, but it exists to draw a contrast to the brilliance of light. If you look at the end of Ecclesiastes, the last couple verses in chapter 12 is this commentary from somebody who's kind of like, like they finished the sermon, right? They heard the sermon and they, they kind of wrote a commentary of what they think the big idea was of the whole thing. Here's what it says, verses 13 and 14, chapter 12. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. So see, this is a guy who's read the sermon, heard the sermon, but it hasn't led to, it's led to maybe good news, but not great news yet. Like, yeah, fear God, God sees all, but they're still kind of longing for some of the hope. So um, commentator, theologian, Cindy Gradena says it this way. Fear of God will turn a vain and empty life into a meaningful life, including God's gifts. And so, what we can see that the message of Ecclesiastes is not all of life is meaningless. You're like, yeah, but all says is vanity, right? It's not that all of life is unsubstantial and that nothing matters, but rather that because God is the source of meaning, of life and purpose, it actually means not that nothing in life matters, but quite the opposite. Because there's a good God, it means that everything in life matters. All right, number two, verses three and four. What's the point of life if it's unprofitable? It says this in verses three and four. What does a man gain or profit by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. So what's the point of life if it's, if it's just going to be unprofitable, right? We, we work and we work and we want gain. The word here is profit. It is like to go out and trade and, and make more than what you started with. And at the end of the day, the preacher says, um, like, you're not going to actually gain anything of lasting value for all of your work. And so work is not evil. We're going to get into this theme more later in Ecclesiastes, right? The beginning is kind of a summary. Work's not evil. Work was created by God because we were created for a purpose. And that included work, but because of sin, because of brokenness in the world, all the purposeful work that we do actually can lead to toil. Any of you who own a business, any of you who lead a classroom, any of you who are parents, any of you who have just tried to like, I don't know, weed before, know that all of work ends up at certain points being toil. You work, and, and, if, and sometimes you've put all of your cards in, all the effort, you've done all the right things, and you still find yourself with nothing to show for it. 
Man, you, you raised your kids right. You didn't do these things. You, know, you, you made sure they, they didn't have these influences. You didn't let them watch this. You didn't let them do this. You took them to all the right stuff. And then, and then they spin out and they don't follow the Lord. You, you are, you're a farmer and you plant and you do all the things. And then famine hits. Drought hits. I mean, not here in western Washington, but other places, right? And you're just like, what? what? Why? And you're like, maybe, maybe you're like, no, 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 I'm, I'm doing all right. You see my, you see my portfolio? Looking pretty good right now. Maybe you're crushing it. That's awesome. Uh, we've got a lot of building campaigns we'd like to start here at Mercy Fellowship. We can, maybe can help with that now. Uh, no, so you're here, right? You're doing well. And yet, even when you think you've gotten ahead and you've made progress, there's still that shadow. There's still that, I'm not going to get to take it with me. In fact, I'm going to end up having to hand this off. All of the work and effort and emotion uh, uh, that we put into work, everything I've gained isn't going to have any value to us. And, and so why work? Why try to grow? Why strive if it's ultimately unprofitable? If I'm just going to leave it to, to kids that aren't going aren't to do that. Maybe some of you are in your retirement and you're like, that's why we're spending it all right now, Right? And so, why? Why work? Why try? The answer actually is in the text. It's right here. It's in verse 3. It's this phrase at the end of verse 3, and it's this. Why? It uses this phrase, under the sun. What does a man gain or toil, and all he toils under the sun? That is the major qualifier of this entire book. So if you think, you're going to hear under the sun multiple times throughout Ecclesiastes, and sometimes in the Bible we hear phrases, and we hear them so often, we just kind of, they, they become throwaway verses, or throwaway phrases, like, you know, like, greetings with grace, mercy, and peace. And you're like, yeah, grace, mercy, and peace. No, no, th those are big ideas. Under the sun is the primary qualifier of this entire book, because it's referring to all of life that we see, everything that's under the the sun, everything that is here on this earth, everything that we experience, that we see, that we hear. And so um, it's not a throwaway phrase because if you throw that away, it's just, it's depressing. It's so all-encompassing, every aspect of life, it's not insignificant. But it's begging you, begging you to see there's more than what is under the sun. Praise God, this is not all there is. And so as it's talking about life under the sun, it's talking about life apart from God, distant from God, or just forgetting that there's a God at all. Life completely divorced from the Creator. And so under the sun takes the idea of a godless existence, pairs it with the finiteness of life, which leads to just nihilism, what does it all mean, vanity of vanities, why work, why strive? And so the answer is not to give up on work or wealth or gain because we don't pursue meaning under the sun, we see meaning beyond the sun. So we, gift, uh, we sh uh, shift our gaze rather from, from under the sun to above the sun where we remember 
that there is a creator who, yeah, made even the sun. There's a creator who's over his creation. He's placed us in his creation. And the reason that he has done that is, the Bible says at the beginning, to give us purpose and work, to cultivate, to create a culture of meaning, of purpose, of beauty. I mean, God didn't put us in a wilderness, right? God had put us in a beautiful garden that he made and designed and said, hey, just, just go do this everywhere. Make the world amazing. I'm the creator. I've created you in my image. I've made you to be creative. Now go create. Go cultivate. I think that's meaning. I think that's purpose. I think that should give you a little giddy-up for your coffee in the morning to, to, to go out and actually do something. Yeah, build a house. Yeah, fold the laundry. Yeah, clean your car. Yeah, change the diet. Like do all the things. And maybe there's going to be gain, and if there's gain and profit, that's from the Lord, praise God, and, and you get to be blessed and be a blessing with that. And even when things are difficult, we get to say, yep, the world is difficult. Praise God, this isn't all there is. And so I think that having a desire to cultivate, having a, a purpose to make a culture that is amazing, that is worthy of great purpose. And so... As we look at our lives under the sun, it goes back to that short vapor, right? It says in verse 4 that a generation comes and a generation goes. And so it's this idea, right, that there's always promise of new life, right? I love that we're a multi-generational church here at Mercy Fellowship. We got, you know, babies in the womb, babies being born. We got people who are retired and, and everything in between, right? And there's this idea that, that wow, with each generation, there's, there's promise, there's hope, right? Maybe these guys will get it right. And then, and then this turn happens in your life where you go from the kind of the coming up generation to like the like, where am I now? Which, which one am I in? To the like, oh man, I, I'm, I'm on the downstroke. Like I, I was telling a guy yesterday, like most of my Saturdays up until literally this year were spent running 12 miles. I know that sounds terrible for you. I, I love it. And now at 41, now my Sundays are, or Saturdays are no longer 12 miles. It's six miles, followed immediately by an appointment with my chiropractor. That is, that's been my routine now. Six less miles and a back adjustment. And, and you're looking at this and you're like, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I'm great that there's another generation coming up, but, but, but man, there's this turning point. I, are we going to even be there? And, and then you look at the next generation and you're like, I, I don't know about these guys. The great philosopher Socrates, right, the great Greek, Greek philosopher thousands of years ago said this, the children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, and they disrespect their elders. Things are so different now, right? There's no generational squabbles. There's nobody, you know, 35, 40 plus, saying all those lazy millennials, right? There's no, there's no young people that like every time you're like, it used to be like this, they're like, okay, boomer, easy, right? There's always a generation coming up. There's always a generation going, and we have to be okay knowing that under the sun, I hate to break it to you, every one of us in this room, we're going to be replaced. Some of you have gone through retirement in the last few years, and you wonder, like, how's the company still going? I mean, I, I, I thought I was the linchpin. I worked in a marketing agency for 11 years, and, and I, I worked on the marketing campaigns for Starbucks uh, and, and a lot of their drinks. Like, I'd always know what was coming up each, each deal, and, and it's like, 
I stopped doing that and I'm doing this now and Starbucks is still making Frappuccinos, right? You're gonna be replaced. And, and maybe that's in your business, maybe that's in your, in your place in the world. Like, guys, we're sitting in a building that some saints that are long gone helped build. First, Marysville First Baptist Church was started 122 years ago now. And that church isn't there anymore. And we're here now. And Lord willing, depending on how long the roof lasts, right? Like, we'll hand this on to somebody else. Like, we live in a beautiful place where you can see mountains almost from everywhere, right? You can see the sound almost from everywhere in this county. When you look at those mountains and you look at that sound, we should be seeing that while a generation comes up and a generation goes, they stay. Like, it's this irony here in Ecclesiastes that we were created and put in the world to enjoy and yet we're the ones that die off and go and the world is the one that remains. And so it's asking like how, how, do, we, how do we have purpose in life if how do we have purpose in life um, if, if we're not looking beyond under the sun, right? If it's ultimately unprofitable. And so that leads us to these cycles of creation. Verses five through seven, we've got to keep moving. Verses five through seven says this. The sun rises, the sun goes down, it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow again. And so this gets to the question number three. What is the point of life if there's unending cycles? So it starts with us in generations, but then he looks beyond that to creation. There's all these cycles, and so it's difficult because all of us look at life looking at the next stage. I'm in school now. I can't wait to get to high school. I got, I got my learner's permit. I can't wait to drive. Um, you know, and then you're just waiting for the life where other people get to drive you, right? But the whole cycle starts and ends with diapers in our life. Some, you know, some of us aren't the second diapers yet. That's okay. It's these cycles that keep going on and on. And we end up waiting our whole lives away because we're always looking to the next thing. Oh, I'll be a grown-up when... I graduate. I'll be a grown-up when I'm married. Sometimes, we, we'll talk about this more, but here in the church, sometimes it's like, oh, you're finally a full church member because you're married and you have kids. Sorry, married without kids. Sorry, single people. You're JV. No. Every aspect of life has meaning and purpose. Every person is made in the image and likeness of God. And so, well, we're waiting for the next cycle. Creation shows us that, yeah, there's these unending and unchanging cycles. It talks about the sun, right? We looked at Psalm 19 earlier in the summer about how the sun is like a bridegroom that leaves its chamber and it goes on this long, strong run and then, and then it ultimately sets. If you're not a Christian, if you don't believe in a God who made everything, then a sunrise and a sunset should be the most terrifying times of your whole day. Because the sun rises and the sun sets, it means that another day of your life is over and there's that much less of your life left. Pink Floyd says it this way in Dark Side of the Moon. Some of you guys know this. So you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, right? Sunset, racing around to come up behind you again. 
The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older. Some of you know the line. Shorter of breath. One day closer to death. I think, I think Pink Floyd was reading Ecclesiastes. Probably should have read the rest of the book too because it gets better. But that's, that's life under the sun, right? It talks about wind. Wind goes on these different paths and circuits, north, south, east, west. It goes all over the place. It moves and it never stops and it never arrives. I think the preacher here is saying our lives are like that. We're, we are the busiest people ever. We're always moving. We're always doing something and yet we're never arriving and we're never resting. Then he talks about streams. Oceans flowing, right? And the streams flow the, into the ocean. The river flows into the ocean to the sound, right? You go to the Columbia River where it goes into the Pacific, and it doesn't matter how much it rains. It doesn't matter how much glacial snowpack there is up on the mountains in the winter, going into the spring as it melts, even with, with dams and everything, everything flowing down. The ocean never gets full. Just, it just gets some clouds, the clouds go back, they rain, and it just goes in a cycle, in a circle. He's talking about us, how we are people who are never satisfied, right? We eat and we eat and we eat, we enjoy and enjoy and enjoy, and we are never satisfied. It's just these unending cycles of futility in creation. Romans 8, 20 says this, For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The New Testament is talking about how because of sin, there's just these futile, vain, vaporous, unending cycles. As kids, we love unending cycles like a merry-go-round. But as adults, that merry-go-round turns into a treadmill. And we run and we run and we run and we go nowhere. And that leads us to this place where we pursue meaning in our day-to-day lives, but it just seems like an unending grind, and that leads us to verse 8. What's the point of life if it's unsatisfied? Verse 8 says this, All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eyes are not satisfied with seeing, nor the ears filled with hearing. What's the point of life if it's unsatisfied? Right, these cycles lead to this tangible groaning. He says weariness. Another word for that is boredom. He actually says, yeah, there's a lot in life, but you you can and you will get bored. What do we do when we're bored? We're just, we're unsatisfied. Because we're people who are made for eternity. Our souls are made to long and long and long and long and to never be satisfied with what we experience here on earth, in life alone, unless it's with God. And, And like, we all know this is true. We're going to get to chapter 2. We're going to see Solomon had everything and was not satisfied. We are some of the most entertained people on the planet in, in world history, and we are not satisfied. It says here, right, eyes can't see, ears can't hear, words can't utter. Like, we can't even articulate the groaning that we have. And so we try to find meaning even in words. So like, you know, I just need an inspirational quote, right? Like the Lego movie with the cat poster, believe. And you're like, yeah. And you're like, wait, that doesn't satisfy. 
Right? You started your day scrolling, you found some amazing inspirational quote, and then 10 minutes later you're in traffic and you are no longer inspired. Right? It doesn't last. Right? Our, our, like, none of us like, put ourselves in solitary confinement, close our eyes, plug our ears and say, I don't want to see anything else. I don't want to hear anything else. No, we're, we're made to see, hear, and enjoy, and experience. And so we're the opposite end of sensory deprivation, right? You ever try watching a show on Netflix and then it ends? And before you can like even grab the remote, you're like 10 minutes into the next episode? Right? It just flows and flows and flows. Uh, they got a new feature now. It, it just, this popped up. This is not a commercial. It just said, pick something. Like you, pl- you press this thing and it's just going to give you something. You don't get to pick anyone. They're like, yeah, we think you might like this. Because Netflix needs shuffle. That's what, that's what we've been waiting, waiting for, that, right? No, we're just so entertained. We, we get carpal tunnel on our thumbs scrolling through Facebook and Pinterest and Instagram. And what are we doing? We're searching for satisfaction. Y'all, I've told you about my screen time being up. I've, I've found the end of Instagram. Maybe you didn't know this. At a certain point, Instagram tells you, you've seen it all. It doesn't say it. It says, you're all caught up. I was like, oh good, I thought I was behind. It says, you're all caught up. That means like, all the people I follow, all the things like, y- y'all posted everything. I've seen, all, seen it all now. Now it says ads for solo stove and running gear. And I'm still going. I'm like, oh, that's, no, maybe I need that. We all need a solo stove. Okay. I mean, that, what are we searching for? We're searching for satisfaction. And we're not finding it. And so we come up with new answers. Or we think they're new. And that leads us to number five. What's the point of life when all of our solutions are unimaginative? Verses 9 through 10. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which can be said, see, this is new. It's been already in the ages before us. So because we're so unsatisfied, we constantly look for new ways to quench our thirst, to stay our appetites, and then we get convinced that we're so creative at this. And maybe you're like, well, this feels so outdated because this is like a, you know, pre-technology society. I mean, yeah, they're searching for meaning and purpose, but again, I mean, have they seen an iPhone? Like, oh wow, now we can find out where we're going. Now we can listen to music. Now we can share all of our unpopular opinions to people who aren't listening to us. See, that's already been happening. We just get to do it faster now and from the comfort of our own home at times. And so we're like, no, 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 we're, we're so new, right? We've, we've figured it out, right? We're, we're, we're so much more tolerant, right? You know, we're, we're, we, we've solved all of the world's problems. I can't even say it with a straight face. And we're like, no, no, th- this generation will get it, right? Th- this new thing, oh, no, this disease has to be fought. This war has to be fought. And He's like, no, there's been disease every generation. There's been war every generation. There's been birth every generation. Nothing is new under the sun. And you're like, yeah, but I just, I just heard about like the, the, like the 78th gender. And you're like, no, 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 no. People have been sexually confused a long time. People, since the beginning, have taken God's beautiful design and said, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust that. Maybe I'll find happiness over here. Guys, there's nothing new under the sun. I think things are weird now. Like, go read up on Roman history. Read up on Greek history. Like, it's always been weird. And so, 
We're like, you know, we solved slavery, we solved genocide. No, there's still modern slavery. The faces have changed. The activities have maybe changed. We're not genocide, we totally solved that, right? That, that, that's, that's been done for like almost like 80 years, right? No, 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 it happens in Rwanda. It happens here in America. Only it's not over race or religion usually. It's over birth status. Guys, there's nothing new under the sun. Like there's, there, there's not some new thing that's gonna fix all of it that's gonna come from us we're not different than those before us. And there's people who haven't been born yet and things that have been, haven't even been done yet that are going to be forgotten someday. We're in need of something truly new, something truly creative, something imaginative to satisfy. And this is where, again, we have to go above the sun and look at the creator of the sun. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says this, but it's written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So while we're searching for satisfaction, while all of our answers are unimaginative, while we're craving for something new, here's the promise of something new. That God's prepared an eternity for us that we can't even conceive of. I mean, if all the things you love in the world now, and God's like, (laughs) That was barely a rough draft. Just wait till you see the finished product. Just wait, like, it'll be better than iPhone 13. This is like an 11. I mean, ooh, right? God has so much more for us than what is under the sun. And God's imagination is far more beautiful than ours. And that leads us to the last verse, because you're like, all right, I'm ready for eternity, I'm ready for the future, that's great, but but what about legacy? What's the point of life if if it's gonna be unremembered? Verse 11, and then we're done. There's no more remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. If we stop here, this is bad news. right? Like I said, people are gonna be born, who are going to die and be forgotten. Like, what, what is it that we say at funerals? Right, we say these really trite things like, don't worry, you know, George, George is always going to be with us as, as long as we remember him. What solace is that? Everybody in that room, just fast forward 100 years, is going to be gone. Then what? And you're like, no, 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 I'm amazed. Like, it's, this is so weird. Like, I, walking through the UW campus yesterday with my kids, and, and it's like, I'm looking at the Paul Allen Library, and this is the first time that I've walked through campus since Paul Allen died, and I'm like, oh, man, that's part of his legacy. Seahawks, right, part of his legacy. At some point, that team will be done, and at some point, the, the library will be torn down. Like, even if you're amazing, we're the most wealthy people on the planet. Like, none of us every day are thinking, like, I wonder how the Rockefellers are doing. Some of you are students of history. Some of you don't even know who that is, because they're not remembered, Right? You want a lasting, eternal legacy. We struggle because we think we're the main character of the story. I want to be clear, you're not some useless extra. Your life matters. Who you are matters. You are significant to God. But, but we, will, we will struggle with purpose if we think we're the point of the story. See, all the Bible doesn't point to you. It's for you. But all the Bible points to Jesus 
as the hero of the story. That your significance and even your legacy is found in life with him. And so very few of us are going to make a lasting impact on this planet. So if our hope is in here and now, we're going to be, be disappointed incredibly and we're going to be discouraged. But God, right? But God. There's a God in heaven who rules over the sun right now. And so, so if you don't want to be forgotten, then, then love and worship the Lord who says, I will never leave you for, nor forsake you. Who says, I have an inheritance for you for eternity. The, uh, with riches, it says, that are immeasurable in Ephesians. And so, he says, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. And we're like, no, no, I'm worried about fading away. We opened our service with these verses from Isaiah that says, the grass withers, the flower fades. We are like grass. We are like the flowers. We're going to be done. And then it gives the good news. But the word of our Lord endures forever. And yes, that means that, praise God, we're reading these words that we believe were divinely inspired to Solomon from like, you know, three, four thousand years ago. Like, yeah, I'm glad we have the Bible. But I'm, I'm even more glad that we have the Bible because it points us to who is the word of God, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, it says, is the word of God. So when we're worried about what's going to endure forever, Jesus Christ endures forever. Jesus Christ is where we find life that is lasting and meaningful. You want something new? Look to the end of the Bible, Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And the sea, meaning the chaos, is no more. We get good news that something ultimately new is coming. And what if you're like, no, I... I don't think I'm ready for that new because I know how jacked up I am. I know about my sin. I know about my brokenness. I can't be in that world. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know what I've done. You need to be made new. And again, that comes from Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or they, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new is come. That's why we preach Jesus. Because we're not just trying to like, solve the test in a, in a philosophy lecture. We want to be made new and long for what is new. We want to be satisfied and long for the time of ultimate satisfaction. So that's why we say we, we want you to, to have faith in Jesus. That's why we invite you. Like, if you... If you having that faith in Jesus, to place faith in Jesus and then be baptized, signifying that the old you is gone and the new you has risen from the water just like Jesus rose from the tomb. And you're new now. Are you perfect now? No. But you're new now. And you are assured of the new of eternity forever. That yeah, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun, but we can all be made new when we place our life with the Son, the Son of God, and we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.